2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Before we get into anything, let's just stop for a moment. It's kind of pastoral at this point, but I want to pray for Israel. After everything that's gone on yesterday, and you got to know, I I got I hosted at my church village the the top guy that ran IDF, Israel's Defense Force. He he was in my office. Got a chance to visit with him. He was an interesting man. Uh, his grandmother was in Auschwitz. She survived it. She was a patient of Dr. Mengele. She survived that. Never thought she'd have children and had one. And then through that came a line of family that is there today. And her grandson was now the head of the Israel Defense Force. And so there was a meeting hosted. I let him use my auditorium on a Tuesday night where he talked about Israel. And then it was a Q&A. It was one of the most fascinating things I've ever been through in my entire life, sitting there listening to this guy. Uh, And somebody raised their hand and asked a question. What happens when Iran gets the nuclear weapon? And he looked at the guy and said, it won't happen. Next question. Then a little bit later, somebody else raised their hand. There were about two to three hundred men, military and others in the room. I want to ask it a little differently, and the basic gist of the question was, but when Iran gets the bomb, what happens? He said, evidently you weren't listening, they're not going to get it. Then about five minutes later, another man raises his hand, and for the third time says, but when they do get the bomb, he says, you in America are a little slow. They will not get it. But this is what he said, and this is what keep in mind when you watch the news this week. We went through Auschwitz, Birkenbauer. You will never walk us into Auschwitz ever again. It's the way he said it. There was a still in the voice. So I tell you that as you pray this week. Israel will respond in ways we've never seen from what I've already been told by some friends. It's going to get bad. I don't know if we have anybody in the congregation that's over there right now. I have friends that are over there right now, some on trips and some who live there. So my concern is for their safety. Uh, it's, a, it's going to be a very difficult days ahead. And I don't know how it will affect any of us. Maybe nothing, but you know we're supposed to pray for Jerusalem? Psalms 122. Now you may not notice that lately, but you do know one of the verses in Psalms 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go in the house of the Lord together. That's in Psalms 122. But in 22.6, it says, pray for the peace of Israel. So I would like to just take a moment and challenge you to be praying for that also, to pray for the people and the wisdom to know how to respond, maybe for the safety of all of us during these days. But the Bible tells every one of us that moments like this, we ought to go to the Lord in prayer. You know, we're all concerned about second coming. We wonder the ramifications of everything that happens when it comes to second coming. I don't know the ramifications, nor will I speculate. I just know this. I want to be ready when it happens. When my Lord comes in all of his glory, I just want to be ready. And I want to be able to be, look him in the eye and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
So on our end, that's what we are called to do. So join me for just a moment, and let me ask for God's blessings upon the leaders as they have to make some tough decisions. And there's a lot of broken hearts this morning. I can't even fathom what they're going through. Um, and I've been there. I've spent time there. So it strikes me a little bit. I've been in some of the kibbutzes or however you say all of that. Small little towns were got overrun. So I watch the news differently than I've ever watched it before. But join with me as we pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we can come to your throne. And much that happens on the opposite side of the world sometimes doesn't seem like it really impacts us, but in other times it greatly does. So we have no idea how this will unfold in the days ahead. But I pray for each one that's here today that you'll give us the ability to walk faithfully with you through all that we do this week. But now I want to lift up to, that, to you uh, the nation of Israel. I pray, Lord, that you would watch over them. You told us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm asking that you give the leaders wisdom, and, um, wisdom beyond anything they've ever had to know how they're going to respond. I know the gist of what their response would be. I've heard their leaders say it in private, and I've heard them say it in public. But I'm praying, Lord, that your hand will intervene in a way that will accomplish your good will and your good pleasure. And that, Father, you will help the hearts of those who are broken this day, that you'd be present. And I pray that this would be a time that many in Israel would look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with those who boldly preach that in that land. Watch over them and take care of them. And just may your perfect will unfold. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know, if you've never been there, do you know that the width of Israel, that I can, that Bucky's is farther away from here than Israel is wide in places? I'm serious. It's 13 miles, I've already measured it, to Bucky's. 13 miles. Uh, you may not, but I drive by it every Sunday, so I know exactly where it is. 13 miles. It's 10 miles across Israel. I have literally stood on a, a mountain saw Jerusalem that way and turned around and saw the Mediterranean Sea. It is not a big area, and so to have what's going on makes it even more impactful on the people. All right, let's get into the message today. I'm always amazed at Paul. I've spent most of my life trying to learn his teachings. I've spent more time maybe in his letters than I, anything else in the New Testament. And I'm always amazed by that, by how he acts, how he responds, uh, how he handles things. You know, I've been teaching on Wednesday night at uh, Cross Church. We're doing the holiness of God. And there's four or five old men in the group on this Wednesday night. And I have seen them. I don't know them, even though I've attended a church for a year and a half. I haven't been there uh, in a year, literally almost, and here in a couple more weeks. And so uh, after teaching one Wednesday night, they came up and said, uh, you want to go to breakfast with us in the morning? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I'm in an old man's breakfast, and I'm the youngest guy out there by about 10 years. And so I, I feel good being the young guy at something, and so I, I've enjoyed being there. But I've got to know over the last month uh, a man named Daryl. I've seen him at church. I've seen him walking around. And I've heard him talk in Bible study and answer questions. I've been amazed and so the other day, even in breakfast, I was sitting and listening to this man as he was explaining to us his insight on the scripture. That's what we do when we get together on Thursday mornings is talk about the Bible, these old guys, and it's, his insights are amazing. So one of the staff members coaches with me in football and at practice on, th on Thursday afternoon. I said, do you know who, when I say Daryl, who Daryl is? He said, oh yeah. I said, he is as good a man as I think he is. He said, he's better. 
He says, Steve, that's the most amazing guy we've ever encountered. You can't shake him, but he is solid as can be. He, you're not going to move him off where he stands. But he's the kindest, gentlest, most loving person that, we have, that he said, I've ever seen in all my years of ministry. I want to say that that would be a description, as I look at him, or maybe you know somebody like that, that would be a description of the Apostle Paul. A man of amazing character strength, but a man filled with love. A man who could take whatever came his way and still be standing. You know, the scripture says to those of you who are old in the room, that an older man is to have these qualities. He's to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. I would think the Apostle Paul fits that to perfection. And I think that our passage today will help us get a little bit of insight into his secret. What helped him be the kind of man he ought to be? And you say, well, why do I need to know that? So that you can be the kind of man and woman that God's called you to be. And that you can have the strength of courage and the character to be able to live as he lived to accomplish in your ministry what he accomplished in his. So if you'd stand with me, we'll read verses 8 through 13, and you follow along in your Bible as I read. And it says this. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, I'm not going to be using that much, but it's amazing to me how many times we're just told to remember. Remember, simple truths. Just keep this in your mind always. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended to David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardships even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. And verse 10 is my focus. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. And it is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. And if we're faithless, he is always faithful. He cannot deny himself. Father, speak to us in a very clear way today. Give us the kind of perseverance that Paul had. But give us the kind of love that this man had. So watch over and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when I see, as I said a moment ago, a man like Daryl that I've just got recently to know and find out his character is exactly what I was seeing. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of guy I want to be. That's the guy I want to finish as. I want to get stronger as I walk through life. But then when I look at Paul, I want to also move in the same direction he did. So I want to start with it by looking at it this way. And that simply was this that the Apostle Paul suffered greatly in life. Because that's what makes verse 10 even more amazing. In verse 9, he says, I, I, suffer, I am suffering hardship. And the word literally is evil. It's the word evil. I am suffering all of this. Well, let's think through some of his suffering. Some of the things that he went through. First of all, he was stoned in Lystra. He was earlier being called a god by the people... And then later they turn and they try to kill him by throwing stones at him. That's, that, that is a horrific thing to have to go through. It's beyond most of our imagination what that would be like as he went through this. If you've watched the news any this weekend and you saw some of the things that have unfolded, it, it's hard to imagine people can have that kind of anger and that kind of hatred. But that's what Paul was experiencing. He was going through that and they weren't just trying to make him hurt a little bit. In reality, they were trying to kill him. 
He survives the ability to be stoned. That alone would be hard to overcome in any of our lives if that had been our experience and we were the ones who went through that. But then I want you to think back before all that happened, or a little bit later after that, what happened was he was at Philippi. And he's preaching in Philippi. He has a lady come to know Christ, but then there is a lady that's kind of demon-possessed with all kinds of wisdom and spirits to be able to make all these things and money for some of the businessmen. He heals her. They get angry. What do they want to do to him? They have him arrested. What did they do to him? They beat him with rods. They took rods, and the scripture in the Greek, they hit him over and over and over. They hit him with anger. He had hit them in the bottom line of money, and they wanted him gone. And they're beating him within an inch of his life. Most of us have never even come close to experiencing anything like that in our lives. Paul went through that. Paul told the church at Corinth, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, which we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Some of this stuff that happened to Paul in Asia and then later in Greece were so impactful upon him that it literally, he didn't have the ability to go to another step. He literally didn't know if he would make another, another foot in the ground to be able to keep going. See, sometimes we think these people are superhuman, superman, or something like that. No, they're me and you. But yet, as he in fact he even told the church at Corinth in the second letter, I despaired of life. That's how hard emotionally and physically Paul's life was. And I didn't even get into all the other stuff that he went through. The, the cat of nine tails, five times. That'd be about 195 lashes if it follows through what we've all read in our history and understanding the Bible. 39 lashes times five would be 195. He went through that over and over five times in his life. He was shipwrecked. He, he was in prison. He, he just went through every kind of hardship you can ever imagine. I don't see how he kept going. I don't see how he took another step. You know, I've been doing this a long time, and I've watched a lot of people fold under just a little of pressure. And he doesn't fold. This letter that he's writing in 2 Timothy, he's writing from prison, so it hasn't gotten easier as he's gotten older. Sometimes we think, well, we get older, then it becomes easier. Not always. The pressures are still on him as he writes this letter. And we've already seen the hardship he's gone through and how people have abandoned him and nobody will stand with him because he says that he is being punished, that he is, in a sense, one of the sorriest men on the face of the earth. That's how they're viewing him. How would you like to wake up one tomorrow morning and you've been thrown in prison and everybody in Greenville now thinks you're the criminal and you're a sorry good for nothing? I mean, it would crush us. Paul goes through that. He says that uh, there in verse 9. I'm in prison as a criminal. What was he doing wrong? He was just simply preaching the gospel. But because of it, he is viewed as a problem. He is viewed as the evil man in the society. When he is preaching Jesus the only way or he's calling for moral purity, he runs counter to everything within the culture and the society. He's the evil man, and the society has turned against him. If he lived in America today, he'd be viewed as a right-wing fanatic 
that is worse than a child abductor. He really would be viewed that way. And I'm not even understating it at that point. I don't think you can get any lower in life than the Apostle Paul as far as circumstances. And what does that do to us when we walk through those? And none of us, I have not, walked through this extreme of difficulty. But sometimes when we've walked through the hardships of life, I'm reminded of Proverbs 13, 12, said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When your hope is not going to happen, when it's not going to work, then the heart gets sicker. I have seen that over and over in my ministry with people whose hope starts getting robbed from them. And the scripture then says in Proverbs 18, 4, a broken spirit who can bear it. No one is what's implied in Hebrew in 1814. How does he do this? How does a man like Paul survive this? Because life's difficult. And there are none of us in this room that escape the difficulties of life. I've referenced this a couple of weeks ago, but when Paul went back to Lystra after they stoned him, I still think that message probably had to be one of the greatest messages ever preached when he said, through many tribulations will enter the kingdom of heaven. We all will walk through that. None of us will be exempt. And Jesus, when he had the disciples in the upper room and he's speaking to them that night before his crucifixion, said to all the disciples, in this world you have tribulation, but I want you to have courage. I have overcome the world, and you will also. So here's Paul with tribulations, hardships, distress, afflictions, persecution. I want you to know that when you and I face moments like that, they have a great way of revealing if our faith is real or not. It's easy to have faith on Sunday morning in church, worshiping with others and singing the great songs that we sing. But it's in moments like Paul's going through that we find out who we are, that when we're being squeezed by life, we see what comes out, and it's not always very pretty. So my question now becomes, as I think through all of this, because when I look at it, I go, Paul could handle anything. And the question I'm going to ask in a moment is, how, how can he do that? How can he handle anything? But he does. He told the church at Philippi that. Remember when he writes them, he got beaten with rods there. He was thrown in prison, and then they had him leave town, and he went down to Thessalonica, but he writes them back, and he tells them of different things and different truths that he needed them to know, and he's in prison when he writes that letter, and he begins to unfold all of that. And I love, and I preached it back in the, in the last fall when I started here from Philippians chapter 4. I think I've... No, I did it just recently, when I, about five, six weeks ago, Philippians 4.13. I did it at another church in the fall. But in 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he backs up and said, you know what, guys? I've learned to be content. I've learned to be happy. I've learned to enjoy wherever God's got me. And when I read Philippians 4.11 through the context of what I just pointed out of what he's been through, that's stunning. But he said, I've learned this secret. I've learned the secret of being content. That's why he could say, I can do anything. And I believe that now when I read Philippians, and I, I mean, uh, 2 Timothy, and I see what he's going through. See, all of these factors play into Paul's mind as he's walking through these overwhelming dis difficulties. And it's always an issue of faith. And you want to know something? Paul trusted God through Christ Jesus. Guys, it really is that simple 
that you and I honestly trust that what Jesus did for you on the cross is good and that he who's going to give you life eternal can take care of you until the day you get home and that he can walk you through any circumstance or situation in life and his hand is not removed from you. My God and your God revealed to us through Christ Jesus has his hands on each one of us who are in Christ and nothing can pull us out of his hands. You can't even pull yourself out of his hands and he will not let you go. Paul believed that. And so because of that, he handles the most difficult situations and notice what he does now as we get into verse 9. He says, for I suffer hardship even to be in imprisonment as a criminal, but, there's that big word, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Not imprisoned. Perfect tense. It's never been in prison. It's not in prison today and will not be in prison in the future. Paul's not standing in a pulpit preaching to people as he would have done many times throughout his life. He's stuck in a jail in Rome with a praetorian guard around him. But you want to know something? Through everything that he went through, being viewed as the sorriest human being on the earth, being viewed as a criminal, being, being beaten so many times, it's not even funny. He said he was beaten up times without numbers. He couldn't even count it anymore. You know what he's doing? He's still standing for Jesus. And he still knows that the only hope that there is is in Christ. It's just like when I was praying a moment ago for Israel. Israel's only hope is in the Messiah, the Messiah being Jesus Christ. And my prayer always is that God will open their eyes to be able to see and understand who he is and will come to know him as you and I have come to know him. Paul knew that. He preached that. See, God was working in and through him, even in the most difficult of situations. And he keeps proclaiming the truth. The chains could not stop him, could not stop him from doing his work nor doing good. Now, you and I don't have the same type of position in life that Paul had. But we should not ever let the difficulties of life chain us down to not being the kind of men and women God's called us to be. That you and I live our lives and demonstrate the presence of Christ within our lives all that we face, all that we go through, that people will see within you there's something unique and special going on. And when they ask you, what is your hope? You can tell them, my hope is in Christ. That's what Paul was doing. And he was not afraid. He was not ashamed. Christendom, the great preacher from the third and fourth century said, for our hands are bound, but our tongues are not. Since nothing can bind the tongue but cowardness and unbelief alone. Christendom, who went through some suffering himself, said, you may put me in chains, but you can't put chains on my tongue. The only thing can chain you down is that you're scared or you don't believe. Paul, was he may have been nervous and afraid at moments, but he never stopped trusting God. And let me go back to Joseph. The story of Joseph is fascinating to me. When Joseph saw his brothers, how would you like to have been in his shoes? It's been a good 20 years plus. In fact, it's probably been, he was 18 years in prison, or 12 years in prison, seven years of famine, or seven years of plenty, and then a famine had started, and somewhere in there, the brothers come down to be able to get food in Egypt. 
So it has been 20 plus years since he's seen his brothers, and his brothers don't probably have any idea that he is still alive. Whenever they see each other, what was Joseph's reaction? Do you know he wept? On a couple of occasions when he saw his brothers, he wept. He had to step away for a moment with tears in his eyes. See, the emotions that he was going through after what his brothers did to him had to be real. He'd had many a night of thinking about all that had happened within his family and of what the brothers had done to him and how his life had gone and 12 years of imprisonment. It is a wonder at that moment with all the emotions which Joseph had, which we do understand why he had them, why he did not react in a very negative way to his brothers and use the power which he had to make their life extremely difficult. Now, he did do a little bit to make their lives a little uneasy, but I mean the kind of difficulty that either imprisons them or, or kills them. There's all kinds of stuff he could have done, but he doesn't. And in reality, well, he uses all of that to eventually get his entire family down to Egypt to be with him, to reunite the family after 20-plus years. It was part of God's plan, and he did it. The brothers probably all through this time are a little bit leery, which you can understand, because the one they couldn't stomach and couldn't stand is now the, one of the most powerful men in all the world who can control and dictate every single thing that goes on. And so even though they're happy to be there, they're probably very leery. And we know that because when their dad died, suddenly the fear comes through because what will Joseph now do? And so when you get to the 50th chapter, you know the story. They're having a conversation at that moment, Joseph with his brothers, and he said this to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm in God's place. I'm in God." That's what Paul would say in prison. I'm in God's place. You don't need to be afraid. I'm right where God wants. Wherever you are today, you're in God's place. You say, I don't like it. Well, learn to appreciate where God has you. You know, as a kid growing up, when I was 12, I wanted to be 13. I wanted to be a teenager. When I was 13, I wanted to be 14. Because in Texas, you could get your driver's license at 14. When I turned 14, they changed the law to 16. So all my friends had it because I was a year younger than everybody in my grade. And so now i got to be 16. 16 came, I got it, and then I want to be 18. Because 18, you're a man. I don't know why I want to be 18 because Vietnam War and the draft were going on, and I had to sign up. Then I want to be 21. And then when I'm 21, because I'm paying for my insurance, I want to be 25. Because insurance goes down, supposedly, when you're 25. I haven't seen that, but it's supposed to go down. And then later on, I want to be 30, 35, because nobody wanted to hire a 20-year-old to be a pastor, which was a smart move. I wasn't either smart enough, and I, I, I couldn't have done it at that age. And so I was always, and my mom one time said, son, when are you going to get to the point that you just enjoy where you're at today and quit wishing your life away? That finally hit me took me about 30 years for it to hit me, but it finally did. Joseph's not wishing his life away. Paul's not wishing his life away. Joseph's not wishing. I could go back to where I was born and just raise the cattle, and I don't have to be here anymore. Paul's not saying, I wish I could get back to 
Tarsus or to one of the churches and just preach. I don't want to be in jail. Both of them would have said, as Joseph did, I'm in God's place. And then he said this to his brothers, you meant evil against me. You did. What you meant to do was evil. You tried to kill me. You sold me in slavery. You meant evil. You lied to dad about the whole thing. You meant evil. He doesn't pull punches. He says it the way it is. But then he says this, but God meant it for good. A lot of times what people do to us, they mean, it means to be evil against us. And you can react and get angry and attack back, but you're reacting wrong. Because a lot of time God is using those type of people for a reason within our lives. I had a kid come off the field Friday so emotionally distraught. Some guy had been mocking him the whole time on the field, and he, he just wanted to go back out and hit him. And I grabbed them by their shoulder pads, and I go, take a deep breath. You're playing a good game. You've done well. We're winning, and don't let this kid get in your head. Too often we let somebody get in our head. And when you do that, you don't think clearly. You almost become a fool at that point because a fool always loses their temper, Scripture says in Proverbs. Paul, Joseph, they don't. Because you know what? I think these men have got to the point. Paul wrote the words, but they're both there. And we love it as one of our favorite verses, probably everyone in this room. Romans 8, 28, For we know... For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. It's a great verse. It rolls off our tongue, and we can say it from memory. But is it in the heart and soul that you honestly believe that? Paul, Joseph, they believe that, that what God would take what somebody may mean for evil from the beatings and being in prison or called a criminal that's meant for evil, but God is using that in the most powerful of ways, and he stays faithful. But it still doesn't get me now to how could he keep going? What is the secret that keeps him going? Well, look at verse 10. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. I endure all things. I remain beneath the load over all things. Everything that's coming to my life, I stand firm. I feet planted on the foundations of who Jesus Christ is. So why? Why does he do that? Well, first, you have to walk by faith, which is what he's been doing, and I've made that point. But second, you walk by love. That's what he's saying right here. You walk by love. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. John was very clear about that. Faith is seen in how we deal with people that we come in contact with, family, friends, church members, employees, schoolmates. And Paul said this, I can endure all things for the sake of God's people. He uses the word elect or chosen here. Uh, Remind you of Christendom's statement. If God has chosen them, then it comes to us that we suffer everything for them. If God has put them on the team that you're on, then you need to be with them. And if he's shown them mercy and grace, 
then you do mercy and grace towards them. If Jesus died for them, then you be willing to serve the one that he paid a price so they could have eternal life. Paul, do anything for God's people. The head of the IDF will do whatever he needs to do to be able to protect his people right now. He will do it in reaction to the suffering that they're going through. We're called to walk a little bit different today. We're called to walk in such a way that we show patience and kindness and we hang in there and we don't quit. Why? Because we want to see everybody else around us do what? What does verse 10 say? That they may obtain salvation. We're all trying to get there together, guys. So no matter the hardships that may come any of our ways, what we're trying to do is just work together as the people at Ridgecrest here in this location where there is a congregation. We work together because we're trying to make it so that the people who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we all go together. We hang in there. When the tough times come, we stand with the person going through the tough time. And when the time of rejoicing happens to one of the members, we gather around them and we rejoice with them of God's blessings that came their way. But we're all on the same path. And the path is so we can stand there and when he comes in all of his glory, we can look up and see him and then we will be as he is. What a day it will be when that day comes. But I'm here to help you for a little bit till someone comes to take full time the position. But you're here because we're trying to help each other get there. And for others out in the city to come to know that there's only one answer in life. That answer is Jesus. And if we live our lives in such a way as Paul did, that through the good and the bad, through the most difficult of times, we stay faithful, maybe they'll stop and say, what is there going on that you keep doing this? You keep acting this way. You know, that's why I asked one of my sta the staff members at Cross Church the other day, is Daryl real? Because what I see is amazing to me. And he goes, yes, it's real. And I'm going, I want to be as he is. I want that in my life to the extent I saw within his life. That's what you and I are trying to do. And Paul says, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care how it unfolds. I will not quit. I will endure anything and everything for the people of God. That's what you and I have been called to do also. This isn't just for an apostle. This is for every person in the room. You're not going to stop me from walking with my Lord. It's just not going to happen. Been doing this too long. Seen my God at work. And I live, the closer I get to heaven, the more I live in anticipation of the day when he says it's time to come home. This is so contrary, though, to how most people live. Most just want to please men. Paul wasn't trying to please men, but he was going to love men. He was pleasing God, and through that he would love Many have selfish ambition. They live for themselves. Some are on rocky soil so that when afflictions come, they have no firm roots and they fall off to the side and you don't see them anymore. Paul's different. He literally has what is called the mind of Christ. He considered others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through verse around 12 or 13. He, he is doing this. He has considered other people more important than himself. And when he says to consider other people more important than yourself, he then concludes in verse 5 to say, have the mind of Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He gave it all up 
And he was found in appearance as a bond slave. He was found in likeness of man and in appearance as a man. And he humbles himself to the point of death on a cross. But God has highly exalted him. That at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to know that you and I, if we do as God has called us to do, and that we endure as Jesus did because we consider everybody that sits around you as more important than yourself, you're concerned about how life works for them, you're willing to be there to do whatever needs to happen to make all of this work well for all of us as we try to get there, I promise you one one day God will richly bless you in ways you can't even begin to imagine. And what a day that will be. And all we're trying to do is just to help each other as we struggle through life. Paul said this to the church of Colossae and I wrap down. We proclaim him. We admonish every man. We teach every man with all wisdom so that we can present every man complete in Christ. That's all Paul was trying to do. He was trying to get the rest of the people who confess faith in Christ to be complete in Christ. I wrap down with this story. You know it from the Old Testament. Old Jacob was an interesting guy. He uh, stole his brother's birthright. He stole inheritance. You know the story. He runs for his life. Payback for him wasn't real good. He ended up marrying the woman that he had the greatest desire for. And I don't know if he had been drinking too much the night of the wedding, but when he woke up the next morning, he had Leah and not Rachel. The dad had given him the wrong woman, and he didn't know it. And so he has to work another 14 years he did that. He is, he's kind of getting payback for everything he's done in his life. All of his lies are coming back to him at this point. Goes through a lot of hardships and everything else. Finally, it's time for him to go home. This man who cares nothing about anybody but himself. Do you know how he's set up when he knows he's going to meet his brother? How did he set everything up as they're going through the wilderness or the desert or wherever it is to meet his brother? He put the people in the family they didn't really love that much. Because, you know, he had two wives and uh, two concubines or two maidservants. He had children by all four of the women. And Leah named all of her kids with names that maybe now my husband will now love me now I've given him another child. And he never really did. And so he puts all of them in front and he puts them with some cattle and some other stuff. And he's got a wall building back to him. So when his brother Esau gets up there, and sees this, he attacks there, and then he's got time to run. I mean, he's a good guy. He keeps Rachel, the one he loves, and he keeps, uh, 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 ah, went blank. Who was the little baby with him? Maybe Benjamin or something, I don't remember now, but he's got him right there. Keep them close, because that's the ones I love. But something happens on that trip. What happened? You know the story? He wrestled an angel. And it goes all night long. Strange story. But it is a story that unfolds. And his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And he, he prevails, and all that word prevail means he endured through the night. He really didn't win. He just endured through all of it until the angel 
your scripture says, touched the socket of his hip. Well, the Hebrew says he hit him hard. It wasn't a touch. It was a, he hit him hard. And so either dislocate, did something to his hip. And some of you have hip replacements. You know what that's like. He now can hardly walk. But he gets up and something has happened. He's going to meet his brother after this. What did he do with that caravan in front of him? Did you know that he went past all of that and he went to the front? He didn't make the ones he didn't care for that much anymore lead the way. He leads the way. He has no idea how his brother will react to him. But he's a different man now. He met God. And it changed him. It's amazing what you and I will do for others when we meet God. When we truly come to understand the salvation we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just as Jacob is never the same man again and has a new name of Israel, you and I have not the same either more either when we met Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And Paul demonstrates to us how we survive even the most difficult circumstances in life. We do that by faith in him and by love for those around us. Your love for the people sitting around you should be so strong that you'll endure anything in life to stand with them through everything that goes on here in Greenville. So that when it's said and done, can you imagine the day when Christ comes and we're being caught up? We won't have to wait at the airport. We just get caught up. It's going to be an interesting day. Some of you get to fly for the first time ever. Hope none of you fearful of flying because you're going to fly different this time. But we get caught up. And you're going to see family members and friends that you have loved and you missed if we're still alive, if, if Christ comes while we're still alive. But you're going to see Greenville people, church people that you know who love Christ. And it's going to be neat to be able to look at each other and say, we made it. By God's grace, we made it. Everything that we went through together in Greenville and in life, it's been worth it. All that momentary light affliction has produced for us this eternal weight of glory that we're now part of. Guys, what he has waiting in store for us is so astounding, and I can't even get eyes not seen nor ear heard all that God has planned for us. But whatever it is, it's going to be good. But until that day, I'm called and you're called is to walk daily by faith and love. Jesus, last, one of the last words, disciples, they will know you're my disciples because you attend Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Greenville. Right? Is that what it says? No. They will know you're Christians by your love. Father, we thank you for the day and the privilege and honor that you give us to study your word. And Lord, as we look at passages like this, and we see Paul, sometimes we don't pay a whole lot of attention to that, but yet we need to because they help teach us, because the principles and the insights of why he did what he did and the job that you called him to do is the same thing that we have to do as we fulfill how you have designed and made us to be able to live and to accomplish your goodwill and good purposes within our lives. Father, my prayer for the people here is that you'll help them to grow in love for each other and faith deeper and deeper in Christ Jesus their Lord. And that, Father, we will all stay faithful because we know that you are always faithful. We're to endure. We're to persevere. We're to walk. And do it in such a manner that brings you honor and glory. 
Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.